You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. John chapter 18 this morning, John chapter 18, thinking of that uh, song we just went through, um, always our favorite time of the year, election season, um, and <laughs> much sarcasm there, of course, and thinking about, you know, so, so many times we often worry about who our senators are, our House representatives, and the president, so much, and I think it's important for us to do our duty and vote, um, but to remember who our king is forever uh, changes all perspective there. John chapter 18 this morning. Uh, Pastor wanted to send his welcome to you all this morning. Uh, be in prayer for him as they are up in uh, Mount Clover Road Baptist Church uh, having a wellness weekend. They started their uh, wellness weekend yesterday, and Pastor is uh, teaching and preaching there this morning as well. And so if you would, be in prayer for them as well as their travel back. Uh, not too far away, but of course always missing uh, home church. And so be in prayer for them as they're away serving. Uh, so we're in John chapter 18. We've been going through this study on... Uh, John and, and who John sees Jesus as and the different visions we see him has here. Um, and John chapter 18 really is, is no different here. And we see in John chapter 18 here, Jesus allows himself to be uh, arrested. Uh, and we'll go through this here in a moment by a, probably an army of over uh, 100, maybe even a possibly 1,000 men. We don't know exactly how many, but a large army that was doing this. And through this entire time, the Lord was in control. I think it's important for us to understand that here. Uh, and we know that because... We see here in this passage when Jesus identifies himself, um, he miraculously puts the whole force on the ground. Uh, and so we see even in the midst of him being arrested, he, he is in control here. And after the Lord allows him to, to be arrested here, verse 13 tells us that they led him away uh, to Annas first. But before we get there, let's begin reading in verse number 12 here. John chapter 18 and verse number 12. And we're also going to be in, I will say, Mark chapter 14, because I think these two parallel very well together and help give even more depth to some of the trial. But John chapter 18 and verse number 12. It says this, Then the band and captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him, and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest, and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept that door, and brought in Peter." Then saith the damsel that he kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world, I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said, Nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me, what have I said unto them? Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, 
If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. This morning for a few moments, I want to look at this. Jesus Christ as the examined. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. God, I thank you for your word and how truly sweet it is, Lord, and that we can take it, read it, understand it, and apply it through your Holy Spirit's help. And God, I pray this morning as we look at the examination that took place here in this chapter, the Lord, you would help us to, Lord, examine, Lord, our own hearts. Lord, examine perhaps sometimes how we treat you ourselves in our life. God, I pray that you would give me, uh, Lord, boldness to speak, wisdom as I speak, that all that's said and done, Lord, would be honoring and glorifying to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you're old enough in here, some of you perhaps are not, and I always think it's funny if I say you're old enough because I'm not that old, at least I tell myself that. Many of you, we've talked about the event of 9-11, and you remember perhaps where you were. But another event that I, I recall a little bit Maybe you remember where you were on June 17th, 1994. Now, to some of you, you're like the 1900s. I know over in this section, you're like, I would definitely have no idea what was going on then. But June 17th, 1994, if you turned your TV on at that time, perhaps this would ring a bell a little bit, you likely witnessed the, the infamous police chase of a white Ford Bronco uh, being driven, and of course, in that vehicle was a, a well-known football player by the name of O.J. Simpson, um, sportscaster, actor, had done so much, who had just been indicted for uh, the murder of his ex-wife, uh, Nicole, and uh, her friend, Ron. And the chase took over an hour and ended at his home. But what was interesting was 95 million viewers. Now, of course, TV wasn't as popular back then, still plenty popular, but 95 million viewers watched this Low-speed chase for more than an hour, ending with, of course, him being arrested at his home. And as far from the end of the story, from January 24th until October 3rd of 1995, you couldn't turn on the television without seeing some sort of coverage. I remember being in elementary school at that time, and it being watched, yeah, some of you are like, elementary school, <laughs> watching this trial in class and just going over you know, everything that was taking place and the different uh, legal processes and all that was going on there. Um, and though obviously uh, at the end of it, uh, I think, and many perhaps think there was a travesty of injustice that took place, he was declared not guilty. And many, of course, are split amongst the, the opinion on that there. And this trial became known as the trial of the century. Everyone had heard about it, everyone knew about it. Really, it was the first time such a trial had been televised, and so it was such a, a big thing. And it's very likely that on October 3rd, a, a guilty man was set free. But 2,000 years ago, there was a, another travesty of justice. One where instead, on that occasion, a, a completely innocent man was convicted for crimes he had never committed. And so we've heard of the trial of the century. Here this morning, we're going to talk about the trial of the ages. The trial of the ages. So we see two examinations take place here in this passage. The first examination we see is an examination of evil. An examination of evil. If you have your bulletins, I encourage you to follow along there and take notes. The examination of evil. So much that takes place here in this passage. You know, as we read this and we see what Christ went through, ungodly, cruel, corrupt politicians have been 
one of the worst political plagues of, of mankind, have not they? We can think of so many um, folks that have, have done this. Take, for instance, a man by the name of Leventry Berea, for example. He was known as the most ruthless and longest-serving secret police chief in Joseph Stalin's communist reign. And he was known for a quote was this. He said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Show me the man and I'll show you the crime. And he led the expansion of slave labor camps and secret detention facilities for political prisoners. And we've seen estimates of 100 to 148 million people killed under this brutal communist dictatorship, including even 65 million in China and other nations that have gone through this as well. And we see here in this passage the same callous disregard for life on display at the trials of Jesus Christ. We know this because the Lord appears before the members of this Jewish Supreme Court. As we read this, we see that the, the whole trial was extremely illegal. Um, you know, we depend upon our judicial system so much nowadays, don't we? Because there's supposed to be uh, this idea uh, of justice and, and truth and yet we see a lot of injustice and illegal activities. Now, their Supreme Court was called the Great Sanhedrin. We've heard of this before. A large number, uh, 70 uh, men plus the high priest. And during this time, they met in the temple in Jerusalem. And so we see this illegal trial take place. I told you we were going to be in Mark chapter 14. Jump over there with me real quick to Mark chapter 14. Look at verse number 53. So we see that Jesus is arrested. He is brought um, to Annas, and then he's brought before this, this Sanhedrin, this trial that takes place, and we see that in this evil examination, there was an illegal trial. Look with me at verse number 53 in Mark chapter 14. It says, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, and Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire, and the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together." And so after his arrest in Gethsemane here, Jesus is taken to the home of Annas. John 18, 13 says, they led him away to Annas, and then uh, we see him moved as well. Now, Annas was a great man of influence among the Jews. And when he's finished questioning Jesus, he brings him or sends him bound, the Bible says, to Caiaphas. And the text here, Jesus is standing before the great Sanhedrin. The word Sanhedrin means a sitting together or a council and these were the supreme judicial council of the Jews, well-respected men, considered to be uh, spiritual, religious men, and well-respected in this time. And like our Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin was the highest court in the land. So they had taken this trial immediately before their Supreme Court at this time. These men were expected to be fair, just, and impartial in their rulings. And Caiaphas, the high priest, was in charge of the proceedings that took place in this passage. And from the beginning of this trial, we see it seems that the enemies of Christ had planned every detail and orchestrated the events of that night and that early morning. You see, as you read that Judas and the angry mob seize and arrest Jesus, the members of this council were already beginning to gather 
at Caiaphas's palace. You see, immediately they take him, they arrest him, they, t- they take him to, to Annas, and right after that, all of the Sanhedrin are, are together already prepared for this trial. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to get 70 people together for one event, but it's not exactly an easy job, is it? Especially on a spur-of-the-moment thing. I can think of family get-togethers with just me and my wife and my kids trying to schedule something, and they have a ball game here, and she has this to do, and I have work. And 70 men, so to speak, at the snap of a finger, are all of a sudden together, ready for this trial to take place. And so they meet at Caiaphas' palace here, anticipating this illegitimate trial. For some time, these men had sought to stop the ministry of Christ. This, just, this didn't just come out of the blue. These men, for a while, had tried to figure out, how can we stop the ministry of Jesus Christ? And now it seemed they had their chance. What they didn't realize is that the only power they had over him was the power that he allowed them to have. They thought they were in control of this situation, and yet anything that takes place, and we'll see here in a moment, is only allowed because he, Jesus Christ, allowed it. And so the trial that took place that evening was illegal for for many reasons. The timing of it, first of all, was illegal. The trial was held at night, not just that, but at Passover. During this time, there were many uh, Jewish sanctified laws And by Jewish law, it was clearly prohibited. When a person's life was at stake, the trial could only be held during the day, and it also was illegal to try someone on the day before the Sabbath or before a holy day. The location of the trial made it illegal. John tells us that this trial took place at the palace of the high priest. And according to Jewish law, this trial should have taken place in the Hall of Hewn Stones located on the temple grounds. So we see over and over, the proceedings during this trial made it illegal. We have something we like to call due process in the world nowadays, don't we? But we see none of that take place here. The Sanhedrin weren't permitted to bring charges against someone. Their job was to investigate a charge made by others. And yet we see that clearly is broken here in Jesus' trial. The charges against Jesus were illegally changed in the middle of the trial. Get this. First, they charged him with threatening to destroy the temple. Then they charged him with blasphemy. Then when he stood before Pilate, he was charged with claiming to be king of the Jews. Over and over, changing the charges. None of the charges against Jesus were investigated by the court thoroughly. They didn't give him opportunity to call his own witnesses. There was no possible way for Jesus to mount a proper defense. The council didn't care about right and wrong. Their goal was not to discover right and wrong. Their goal was to get rid of Jesus. An evil examination takes place, and they break all the laws they need to to get their way. They hated Jesus, and they conspired against him in order to condemn him to death. You see, they knew that Jesus had done nothing that was worthy of the death sentence, but they were willing to fabricate evidence, if necessary, to secure a guilty verdict. The members of the Sanhedrin ignored the truth about Jesus. They made up their own facts about him, and in spite of all that they had heard and seen, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. You know, it's really easy to to throw the stones at the Sanhedrin because what they did was illegal and it was wrong. But many people today respond the very same way to Jesus, don't they? They ignore the truth about him and some attempt to make up their own facts about him. 
Many people in our culture believe that Jesus was a great teacher. And I think that's true. He was a great teacher. And many people believe that he was this great philosopher. And I think he had some great philosophy. And others have the image of this hippie who promoted love and peace. But he was so much more. And in America, the majority of people acknowledge his existence, but they do not trust him as Savior. Many respect him, but they do not recognize him as God in the flesh. They don't believe that he's the only way to heaven. And one day they'll come to the realization that he is, as this song sang, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And sadly, many will come to this realization too late. Paul said in Philippians 2, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We said the Sanhedrin made up a lot of facts about who Jesus was. Can I ask you, do you sometimes paint a certain picture of Jesus to fit your perspective? Because he is God, we cannot fully understand him. But do we often put him in a box ourselves? Do we often picture him as just this human because we cannot fully understand him and think often that he cannot understand what we're going through or he cannot handle or help us in what we're going through? They changed facts about Jesus to suit their needs, but so often we do as well. And those who respect Jesus but refuse to surrender him we're going to surrender to him. We'll face him in judgment one day. And on that day, they'll humbly bow before him and confess that he is Lord of all. And so those who were involved in this illegal trial weren't, weren't convinced. And as a result, they plotted to seize, arrest, and convict him. But look at verse number 56 here in Mark chapter 14. Consider this for a moment. They plotted to arrest him and they had any legitimate evidence or not. Look at verse 56. It says, For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain and bare false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. And so we see this illegal trial that takes place, but we also see an insufficient evidence. You know, that, that is one of the key things to, to a trial, right? It is enough evidence to, to mount a guilty or not guilty verdict. It's all about evidence when it comes to a trial. Here in America, a prosecutor has to prove that a defendant is guilty in order to get a conviction and beyond any reasonable doubt. And you know, it's, it's tough to do without sufficient evidence. And in fact, a DA will rarely indict someone without having enough evidence to prove their guilt. Hey, we don't have enough to go on with this, and so we're not even going to bring an indictment until we have ample evidence. And yet here we see insufficient evidence. The witnesses against Christ were deceptive. The members of the council, what's amazing, as, as they bring these charges, they actually go out and they seek out people to bear false witness. They seek out people to make up lies about Jesus here. They wanted witnesses who would testify against Jesus. They were willing to entertain an audience from anyone who could come forward and make an accusation against Jesus. It was almost that, put a, put a flyer in the newspaper, hey, if you've got something to say against Jesus, true or not, let us hear about it because we want to do everything we can to convict this man here. That's what this Sanhedrin does here. Anyone they can get 
to bear witness, whether it's true or false. And it seems that there were many who were willing to do just that. Verse 56 says, For many bear false witness against him. These men stood and told blatant lies, get this, against the very source of truth. Though there were many who were willing to make false accusations against Jesus, there was a problem. They couldn't get their stories straight. Verse 56 says, Many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. They conspired, but apparently they weren't smart enough to get their story straight to begin with. I remember when I was a kid, I have an older brother. He's five years older than me, and um, I followed him around everywhere he went, which usually got me and him into trouble. And I remember one summer, uh, my parents were working, and we weren't in school at that time, and so, um, you know, that's easy to get yourself in trouble when the parents aren't there. And we were up in our uh, two-story house, and we were in our bedroom, and uh, looking out the window across the street, and we had a BB gun. Never a good idea. And so, you know, we, were, we had a screen window up, and we thought, you know, oh, it'd be funny just like kind of, you know, like maybe shoot the door at the neighbor's door across the street, you know, hear the little ting, and we'd laugh and giggle. And I remember we, we were sitting there shooting, and I don't know if it was me or my brother, one of us uh, shot, and we saw it hit the, the big glass window on the storm door. And so it didn't look like anything happened at all, and we're like, oh. So we walked downstairs, go out to the end of our driveway, just across the street, we're looking at, we're like, I think it's okay. And as soon as we said that, just all the glass right down to the floor. And so we're like, oh, no. So we get this genius idea that we're going to run down there. There's a beach. We lived in Chippewa Lake. There's a lake down at the end of the road. Go down there, swim. You know, that way we, can, we have an alibi now. We're good to go. Um, and I remember we get home later on, and my parents bring me and my brother right beside each other, and they ask us a question. And immediately, one of us answers yes, and one of us answers no, you know. We should have conspired a little bit better together. You know, and we were 8, 12 years old. We couldn't get our story straight. We have grown adults here because they're making up these lies, cannot tell a story and get their story straight. Many bear false witness against Jesus here, but none of them bear the same story whatsoever. They were deceptive in their story, telling lies and accusations, but none of them matched up. And what's interesting is according to the law, the testimony, of, the testimony of witnesses in a trial had to be perfect in agreement. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says, where so, uh, it says, if there was any testimony, whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Not one witness, but two or three. And their story had to be the same. It had to match up. But it said there arose these false witnesses but they could not get their stories straight. You know, they mentioned that he talked about raising up this temple not made without hands. Of course, it's a reference to Jesus in John chapter 2 talking about this. And they take Jesus' words completely out of context. They accuse him of threatening to destroy the holiest place in Israel. And the fact is, Jesus never said he was going to destroy the temple. He said, if you destroy this temple... I will raise it up in three days. Jesus wasn't referring to the temple in Jerusalem. He was speaking of what would take place in mere hours after this trial. He was referencing his body that would be destroyed at Calvary and the fact that it would be raised from the dead three days later. And they bring witnesses here who were present at this trial, who were deceptive, but to make matters worse, those who knew the truth had departed. So there was no good evidence to, to convict him of death. 
But it says, as they're arrested, it says that Jesus' disciples and those who knew better, it says they had fled, they had departed. And so we see there's no sufficient evidence, but the witnesses for Christ had departed. Verse 50 tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, all the disciples forsook the Lord and fled. Now, we see here two of his closest followers, Peter and John, have returned to where he was, but even they remain silent. If you look back in John chapter 18, verse 15, it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Now, for a moment, let's be honest here. It probably wouldn't have mattered if Peter and John had given testimony of who Jesus was and attempted to come to the defense of Jesus. These men had hatred and murder in their hearts already. Regardless of what was brought before him, their goal was the conviction of death for Jesus. They didn't want to hear the truth. They didn't want to hear from anyone who would testify on behalf of Christ. It wouldn't have taken long to find people, though, whose lives had been touched by the hands of Christ, would it? Just think of back of all the people who could have testified in the past three years. They could have talked to Peter's mother-in-law or the many sick and diseased that were healed at his hand. They could have questioned those who were delivered from demons or leprosy. They could have talked to the blind man that had his sight restored. They could have interviewed the lepers who were cleansed or the paralyzed who were made whole. They could have talked to a man who once had a withered hand, or a woman who had an issue of blood for, for 12 years and was all of a sudden healed of it. Could have talked to Bartimaeus. They could have interviewed a widow from Nain and her son that had been raised from the dead, or a man named Jairus and his daughter that had been brought back to life. Then there was Jesus' close personal friend. They could have talked to Lazarus and to hear about how Lazarus was dead and in the grave for days. And Jesus simply said, came forth. They could have even talked to the men who brought Jesus to the trial, a man by the name of Malchus, who could have told them about how Peter cut off his ear, and Jesus put it right back on. So many could have come to the aid and defense of Jesus, and yet all of them had departed. You know, we live today in a, in a day and age where Christ is attacked from every side. Truth is ignored, or as many like to say, it's relative. Your truth can be your truth, and my truth can be my truth. God's name is blasphemed. It's used more often as a curse word than anything else. And so before we go bashing Peter and John for remaining silent, you know, so often we, we have a tendency to look at Scripture and we see the errors and point them out and bash them. You know, we talk about Peter because he looked away from Christ and sank, yet he still holds the water for any human walking on water. Before we go bashing Peter and John for not coming to the aid of Jesus Christ, I think it's important that we ask ourselves, what are we doing to promote the cause of Christ where we are? What are we doing to not defend Jesus, because he doesn't need a defense, but to share Jesus Christ? What are we doing to tell those out in the world that either have not heard, need to hear, or even are against who Christ is? What are we doing to share the good news? 
And so no one comes to the aid. Everyone within our sphere of influence may not believe in Christ, but they should at least know who he is. Everyone may not agree with you, but they should know what you believe. And it doesn't have to come in a way where you beat them over the head with it, but it doesn't hurt to share your faith. So everyone within our sphere may not believe us, but they can know who Jesus Christ is. Let us not be secret disciples following Christ from afar. Let us be bold, courageous, and devoted to the cause of Christ. So moving on, we see not only that Jesus faced this illegal trial with insufficient evidence, but we also see this irrational judge. So we're jumping back and forth. In Mark chapter 14, we see this Caiaphas man, this high priest. He was high priest for over about nine years, we see here. And his goal was to convict Christ no matter what. When the wizards' testimonies wouldn't agree, Caiaphas begins to interrogate Jesus Christ himself. Well, these witnesses aren't working out. They're not sharing the same story. So let me take this into my own hands. And he begins to interrogate Jesus. Now, he knew that these witnesses were lying. Lying and questions Jesus as to why he wasn't defending himself. Jesus keeps his silence, and this just infuriates Caiaphas. And in verse 60 of Mark chapter 14, he asks this. Again, the high priest asked him and saith unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy, what think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Caiaphas here is a picture of many today who hear the truth about Christ and refuse to believe it. They believe far-fetched lies about the Savior and Christianity. They become angry by the truth of God's word, and they seek to attack Christ and his followers every chance they get. Caiaphas here was irrational and focused on his agenda and not the truth. And so we see here, as Jesus faces this trial, we see evil to take place. Listen, when they choose to reject Jesus Christ, they are filled with hate. We see as he's stricken when he does answer, as he's brought lies before him, nothing but hatred is in the heart of these men. Not just hatred, but murder. The the consequences of choosing to reject Jesus Christ go eternally, yes, but affect them even in their moment now. And so we see this trial that is taking place and this evil examination that is based on hatred and it's based on lies. But for a few moments, let us take a look at this, the examination of truth. You know, Pilate asked this question, what is truth? You know, when I was in school, maybe some of you, anybody in here like did, liked school? Maybe some of you in here, a couple of you, some of you, all right. Um, more than lunch and recess, okay, guys, that doesn't count. Um, I remember when I was in school, I was a, a quick test taker. Now, that doesn't mean I was a smart test taker, but a quick test taker. Me and Miss Brandy, while we were in college, we had one class together. Um, and um, I'm one of those people that if it takes me more than 20 minutes to complete a test, I just, I just can't sit there any longer, you know. So I'm one of the, you know, I go down, check, 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 hand it in. She's the one that takes like the entire, you know, seven days to complete her test. Um, and I remember she told me it would make her nervous that I get finished so early, and she's like still kind of going through the question. That doesn't mean I always got a better grade. But, you know, when you take a test, there's different types of questions, right? Um, and all of us have our different kinds. Yeah, for instance, the essay question, my least favorite. 
The reason it's my least favorite is because, number one, it takes long, and number two, you actually have to know what you're talking about to get points for those questions. <laughs> and so you have your essay questions. Then you have your multiple choice, or as some of us like to call them, multiple guess. You know, hey, there's A, B, C, D, and E. I, mean, I could guess which one. If I don't know at all, just guess C. Usually that's it half the time, right? And then there's my favorite type of question, true and false. Because no matter how little you know, you still have a 50-50 chance of getting it right. Although it seems like it's not that good of odds because somehow I always miss more the true or false than anything else. Because when you have a true and false question, as you read it, all it takes is one little piece of information out of place to make it false. Maybe it's a number or the name of a country or a person or a date. Exactly. You never, never know. Pilate here asks, what is truth? And in the world today, I think so many people are asking that same question. Searching for truth. And can I encourage you with the fact that we have the truth? We have the truth that we can depend upon in all situations. Listen, this sounds exclusive, but if God's word says it's true, it does not matter upon your circumstances. It does not matter upon what the world says. We have truth, and we need to share it with the world. Pilate here says, what is truth? And Jesus speaks truth. Jesus is truth. As the world around us asks, what is truth? Can I encourage you to give them the response they need to share with them what truth really is? The Bible says those things which are spiritual are hard for the unsaved to understand because they don't have the spirit of discernment. They don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. We read the word of God often and we say, oh, this makes complete sense. But to those that do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, it's, it's, it's darkness, it's confusion, they don't know. And so we need to share the truth with them. If you desire to know truth, Look no further than this book. Look no further than the book that this person speaks of, Jesus Christ. What is truth? Jesus Christ is truth. And I want to share a few truths with us from this passage and what takes place here that is important for us to recognize. As we look at the trial of Jesus Christ, we see a, a travesty of injustice, right? We see um, these lies that are told against him. We see this incorrect verdict as he's declared guilty we see a trial that seems like nothing good is taking place. But as we read this passage, as we, as we study the Word of God, we see, first of all, that Jesus already knew. Jesus already knew what was going to take place. Back in John 18 and verse 31, it says this, Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Matthew 20 and verse 17 gives us a clear example of Jesus knowing the future. So this happened here about three months before the cross. It says, And Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock 
and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he shall rise again. Before anything ever took place, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew that he was going to die upon a cross. In fact, the Lord planned to die on the cross from all eternity past. That's why a thousand years before Christ died, King David could write this in Psalm 25. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. A thousand years before it took place, God already knew. Jesus Christ already knew. This trial that was illegal, that was illegitimate, that was full of incorrect evidence and lies and blasphemies, Jesus already knew. He knew what was going to happen. If the Jews could have legally executed Jesus, they would have stoned him to death. But the cross was God's plan from all eternity past. And so here's what is, is amazing to me. And so God arranged the power of capital punishment to be taken away from the Jews and turned over to who? Their Roman conquerors. God will move heaven and earth to carry out his plan for our lives. And if Christ says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. And his timing and his ways are so many times not understandable, but we know that he knows best. These 70 men and these other witnesses that were vile, evil men that hated Jesus Christ, listen, he took them and he used them to accomplish God's plan. And so for you, how many times in your life do you say, God can't use me, I'm not good at this. I've messed up too much in my past. I've done this, I don't have that. And yet Jesus took 70 wicked men and liars and thieves to accomplish his plan. Listen, he can use you to do great things. He can use you in spite of your faults and your failures and your weaknesses to do amazing things because it's not about your strength. It's not about your abilities. It's about his. Jesus already knew what was going to take place, and yet he still went forward, and here's why. He did it for you and for me. He endured the shame and all that takes place here for you and for me. We have to remember that we are the reason all of this took place. We are the reason that Jesus goes before this, this court and is persecuted. We are the reason that he had a crown of thorns put upon his head, that he was beaten, 40 lashings save one. We are the reason all of this took place. We're the reason that Christ was arrested, the reason that he was brought before the Sanhedrin and had all that false testimony. We're the reason he would be sent to Pilate. We're the reason that he was scourged and sentenced to die. Caiaphas and the rest of the Sanhedrin rejected Jesus Christ. And as a result of their unbelief, though, they were condemned to a terrible place called hell. And as mean as it says, and I say this with a loving heart, the same will happen to each one of us if we reject Jesus Christ as Savior. John 3, we, we know verse 16 so well, but verse 18 and 19 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, 
But he, believeth, he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is exactly who he told Caiaphas he was, the Son of God. And as he promised Caiaphas, he will judge the world someday. And on that day, every single lost person who's ever lived, including the ungodly men in these verses, will stand before Jesus Christ in judgment. And they'll be condemned because they chose to reject Christ. But the great thing is it doesn't have to be your fate. It doesn't have to be my fate. If you've never been saved, can I encourage you to turn to Jesus Christ today? If you simply are willing to trust in Him alone as your Lord and Savior, He can take that soul that's facing condemnation and free it and give eternal life to you. The trial that he went through was for you and for me. The evil that he suffered was for you and for me. He knew about it already, and yet he chose to go because of his love for you and for me. And my first question is, have you accepted Christ as your Savior yourself? Listen, you may feel like, I've got nothing to offer God. I mean... I don't have a lot of skills. A lot of people don't listen to me. I, I, don't, I can't think of anything that God would want from me. All he wants is your heart. He doesn't line everyone up and say, okay, what skills do they have? Are they worthy of being part of my family? He saves even those who aren't worthy. And For a moment, let's be honest, none of us are. We'll look at it in a few weeks, but as Jesus goes to the cross, we see two uh, thieves beside him. One that is cursing him and spitting at him. And you remember the other one, what does he ask Jesus? When you go, will you remember me in heaven this day? What does Jesus say to him? Surely thou shalt be with me in paradise. Never had a chance to lead someone to Christ. Never had a chance to go to church. Never had a chance to get baptized. Nothing to offer whatsoever. And yet simply calling upon the name of Christ that day changed his eternity. That's all he wants. Now listen, once we choose to accept him, should we live for him? Absolutely. He died for us. The least that we can do is live for him. But Jesus here endures evil for you and for me. Romans 10.13 says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I encourage you, if you've never accepted Christ, that word whosoever, that's where your name belongs. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Christ shall be saved. Salvation, eternal life, and a home in heaven are all available for us because of what Jesus did, because of all that he endured during this evil examination, and because he proclaimed the truth. And so my question, first of all, is have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? My second question is this, is if you have, are you sharing him with others? Listen, as I preach to you, I say of myself, I can do more. Not just doing, but being. I can love Jesus a whole lot more than I do. Spend more time with him. Share him with others. And it's because he went through so much for me. We see here 
Jesus being examined. Have you ever seen, have you ever maybe looked into information about something and it seemed one way at first, but the more information you dug up, maybe your opinion began to change? Maybe, for instance, you hear a story and you're like, oh, it sounds like this person. You know, in a trial, for instance, it's all about witnesses. And you, you hear, you see people coming into a trial, and you, you, sometimes when you see someone, you're like, that person's got to be guilty. I mean, they just, they just look guilty. And then you begin to receive information. And you're like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe not. You know? And your opinion can be changed because of evidence. Here in this trial, we see they bring all the evidence and you see no form of guilt. And then you see Jesus Christ himself proclaim truth. And through his information, we see this incorrect verdict. But we can make a decision for ourselves. We can, so to speak, be the judge and declare not guilty. We can look at our own hearts and say, this man surely was the son of God. And because of that, Many times we'll say, I'm willing to die for Jesus Christ. And you know what? Uh, I would encourage you to pray for the, I know many of you have heard it, but the Troel family, um, missionaries to Iraq. And this week, um, he gave his life for Christ. And none of us know, unless we were in that situation, what we would do. We say, you know, if someone asked me if I'm willing to die for Christ, I would say yes. But can I ask you this morning this question that's even more pertinent right now? Are you willing to live for him? Give over yours or my selfish tendencies to want to be about my schedule and my priorities and say, you know what, God? I'm going to put those things aside. I'm going to get into your word and say, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? I want to go closer to you. And so his trial wasn't just so we can say, wow, look at all the illegalities that took place. It's to say, wow, look at how much he loved you and me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day.